Welcome to Iodine Intelligence, Empowering Intelligent Care, a podcast brought to you by the experts at Iodine. I'm your host, Lauren Hickey. In today's episode, we're going to be focusing on quality in healthcare and how clinical documentation integrity teams can impact a hospital's quality ranking. I have two wonderful guests joining me today. First is Fran Jurak, Iodine's Chief Clinical Strategist. Welcome back to the podcast, Fran. Thank you. Happy to be here. And also joining me is Tanya Motzinger, the System Director of Clinical Documentation Integrity at Ohio Health. Ohio Health is a nationally recognized non-for-profit health system composed of 14 hospitals and over 200 outpatient and physician offices based out of Central Ohio. They've been recognized as one of the top five large health systems in America by IBM Watson Health six times. Welcome to the show, Tanya. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you. It's great to be here. So we're going to just dive right into it. Tanya, just for some background for our listeners, can you tell us a bit about Ohio Health and your CDI program? Yes. As you mentioned, we do have 14 owned hospitals. Uh, We have 11 of those hospitals that are covered by our CDI program. And we actually have more hospitals joining this year. Uh, We also have um, some managed facilities and affiliate hospitals as well. Uh, Roughly, our hospital sizes are anywhere from 20 beds to 800 beds. Uh, We don't review patients at our critical access program, uh, our critical access hospitals, but we do have also large academic and a trauma one uh, facilities. We have in our CDI program 54 uh, FTE positions but have a number of CDI roles open. So currently we're at least 10 staff members down. Uh, We do assign our CDSs uh, at the campus level uh, using the iodine product and we divide into hubs, much smaller hubs. And then we uh, try to address the coverage opportunities that way. And we do have a centralized leadership team uh, with myself, two managers, um, educators, and an informatist. And then from a workflow standpoint, all our CDS team members um, are really competent in their CDI reviews uh, every day, as well as the second level review process with expirations, et cetera. So uh, we have uh, quite a few workflows, workflows that we work through with mortality reviewers uh, and then resourcing other people, um, our other CDSs in our process. And then we also have a leveled CDS2, higher level uh, team members who do a lot of resourcing and auditing as well. And they work at about 50% of the time, regular CDS work as opposed to um, just doing the resource and higher level work. And what led to your investment in iodine? What sort of made Ohio Health interested in in iodine in the first place? Well, we were really looking for more efficiency in our workflow, uh, as well as decreasing some of the rework that we were doing on cases. Uh, And then we weren't really getting the benefit out of some of that rework. So we really looked for some different solutions Mm-hmm. Obviously, financials were very important to us in that decision process, uh, but we really wanted to continue the success from a revenue 
and quality lens that we already had in our program, and then improve without increasing our staff uh, FTEs. Mm-hmm. So uh, I know I've heard Fran talk about this before, but really getting that right case to the CDS at the right time for that right documentation opportunity. And we felt that iodine's AI and prioritization models were the strongest product offering out there um, and that they could really help us achieve our goals uh, without compromising our already established CDI success for Ohio Health. So that's why we uh, started our journey with iodine. Okay. And then, so more and more sort of we're hearing from departments, Tanya, that they are a quality focused CDI department, or that's sort of one of the metrics and goals that they're tracking. Um, Would you say that that's the case for Ohio Health, that you're paying attention to your quality metrics with your CDI? Yes, we are very quality focused Mm -hmm. and even with a stronger lens than we were probably three or four years ago. So Mm -hmm. our CDI team, um, we're, you know, we're obviously, uh, it's important to capture severity of illness and the risk of mortality, uh, but really securing uh, what's not being said in the chart. Mm -hmm. uh, very explicitly and getting providers to uh, sort of rewrite some of their documentation so the coders can really capture accurately what the diagnoses are and what the patients are being treated for. Uh, And then having that team of CDSs who can really assist uh, in the clinical understanding of the patient um, and help the coding teams get the right documentation, it was really crucial to driving those quality metrics. For example, even removing PSIs and hacks, a lot of times we found those were driven by documentation, Mm -hmm. not necessarily the quality of care we were delivering. And so if we could change the words in the chart, um, you know, there really wasn't a PSI or hack that happened. It was just that it was documented incorrectly. So uh, that was really important for us. Uh, and then we also have a pretty extensive second review process for expirations, DRG mismatches, low acuity DRGs, et cetera. And those can really influence uh, quality capture of how sick the patient was. So uh, I believe that you know these practices are really essential growth uh, avenues to drive the success of any CDI program. And I think iodine really help us, helped us to expound on those. So, Brian, as I mentioned, this is something that we're hearing more and more from CDI departments, that they're really focused on quality, they're quality-focused team. For our listeners, can you speak a bit on healthcare quality metrics and sort of what is the connection between CDI and quality? And not to make this a three-part question, but what are some strategies for impacting quality? Yeah, I think Tanya kind of spoke to it well and, mm-hmm. and really to the point here in that what you're trying to really do is capture the true clinical picture of what's happening to the patient. What are the conditions that are being monitored and treated? Uh, in, in today's world, many of those qualify or are calculated as a risk-adjusted condition. Mm-hmm. And so it becomes important to know when, what, not only you know did it happen, but when did it happen? Was it something the patient brought in with them? you know, either from a previous encounter or something that happened to them in the outside world of the hospital? Or is it something that actually happened during the inpatient encounter? 
which is where what we're really trying to capture with some of these quality metrics. But Tanya made it very clear, it comes down to the right documentation, right? Are we capturing what's really happening? That then translates to those codes that then translate to all those external metrics that others are looking at to determine, is this a high-performing high organization? Meaning, and I think Tanya, you said it, are we really providing good care or are we just not documenting the care that we're providing very well? But that then translates to risk-adjusted conditions being captured in observed to expected mortality rates in an Elixhauser final risk-adjusted score, uh, Vizient score, right? And all of these things become very important to letting the outside world know what kind of care is being provided in a, in a particular organization. It is how consumers are making decisions about healthcare in today's world. And so if we're if we as organizations, healthcare organizations, want to be reflected accurately in the media, then we have to make sure that the documentation allows allows us to be seen that way. Mm-hmm. On top of it, you know, there's another layer that we don't often talk about in the CDI world, but it actually there is an influence. And that is how individual organizations can then um, put the language together within their contracts with their individual payers, because the quality of care directly is going to impact the cost of care, right? And higher risk patients obviously require greater resources. You want to ensure that your payers are going to pay you for the care that you're providing. And that is driven down by these metrics that then translate into contract conversations. Right. So one thing that Tanya mentioned earlier as sort of part of this is second level reviews. Um, it's something some CDI departments do, um, but a lot of CDI departments are already overburdened with a lot of, you know, extra tasks like um, a working DRG assignment, and a lot of them, like a lot of other areas in healthcare, are facing staffing shortages. That's sort of ubiquitous in healthcare right now. So that's when when dealing with sort of adding tasks to an already bur- overburdened plate. That's sort of where a prioritization tool can come in handy and can help a bit, right, Fran? Yeah, and I think, again, Tanya really, really, uh, really outlined this well in that you have so much to do. Mm-hmm. You have a limited amount of staff. Yeah. So how do you best utilize your staff? There are individuals who are very, very good at record review, and they should stay focused to that. But if, you, if you're trying to look at everything, every single case, you are going to run out of those good people, Right. So having, uh, and Tanya quoted me on this one, having the right case at the right time, mm-hmm. give it to that CDI specialist, then frees up some additional staff to do these second level reviews, to be the educator, to move into management roles, right? We now have clinical ladders in the CDI space where five, seven years ago, there was no such thing. Your, dead, your, your final job was going to be a CDI reviewer. Now right. we know because we have these, this technology to assist us that there's a way to use people in a better way so that they're not wasting their time looking at cases they don't need to and can work at top of license in the cases that have the greatest likelihood of success. Then success in this world is finding that documentation opportunity. Right. So Tanya, when you implemented iodine's concurrent at Ohio Health, does this align with your experience, what Fran's talking about, of freeing up bandwidth, the right case at the right time, um, things like that? Can you tell us a little bit about about the implementation process and then what the impact having a prioritized uh, work list has had. 
Yes. So previous uh, to our implementation of iodine, we were actually not using any AI prioritization mm-hmm. tool. And so that transition was uh, pretty extensive for us. You know, it did take a lot of time understanding, uh, a lot of work uh, to gain the trust of our staff. Um, and previously, our staff were uh, predominantly working in one one or two specialties, and now they became a generalist. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there was an education and a learning curve uh, that we had to uh, jump over as well. Um, very initially, we saw a bit of a decrease in our metrics, uh, but now uh, we really dedicated a lot of education to those CDSs and uh we now are very close, uh, if not surpassed, our pre-implementation metrics from a review standpoint. The difference is we may be getting to the uh, around the same amount of cases, but in our HP, our high-priority cases, we've uh, significantly increased our query rate. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's what's really significant. We are getting to more opportunities, and that's really what we want to do. Uh, as opposed to just reviewing charts, we want to find where the opportunities are and get those established uh, in the record correctly. Uh, so I feel like we're a lot more efficient in our workflows and mm-hmm. our opportunity discoveries. And we've at the same time been able to still maintain that coding collaboration uh, that we have uh, and uh, some of the best practices that we had created even prior to iodine. We were able to uh, you know, maintain all that, if not enhance some of those uh, workflows. So it's been a really successful implementation for us. Yeah, I feel like that's something that we hear a lot is there's really sort of a mindset shift that has to happen from tracking a review rate and how many reviews are you doing versus tracking queries and how many queries are you doing? Um and Fran, can you speak a little bit to why at iodine we believe in this shift that it's that there's more value in tracking queries than just review rate? Uh, well, a little bit is personal philosophy in the CDI space, <laughs> but certainly uh, iodine has has uh, adhered to this as well. I mean, there is no value in mm-hmm. a CDS reading a record. The right. value comes from being able to create appropriate documentation in the record or create that change. And if the way we do that is through a query, then the thing we should be measuring is the query, right? Mm. Now, another metric to ensure that your people are productive is ensuring that they get to the cases that have the highest likelihood of that opportunity. So it does become important to monitor and track the high priority review rate, right? You want to make sure they're getting there. Mm. But once they're there, the goal is to ensure that they find that opportunity, And that opportunity then translates to the financial impact, the quality impact, you know, all of those external reports. So measuring someone by the number of charts they touch is somewhat meaningless. It's really about when you touched it, what did you do? Right. And so, Tanya, can you tell us a bit about sort of the the impacts that you've seen from this? So your review rate is staying, you know, sort of the same, but your query rate is going up. You're finding more opportunity. Um, what was some of the the impact of of that extra opportunity and those extra corrections? Well, really, um, one of the impact was on our quality mm-hmm. and our quality metrics. Um, and and it was also being able to take on more work from mm-hmm. our quality standpoint. 
Uh, and we were able to implement a uh, additional workflows mm-hmm. uh, while still maintaining high query rates and good review rates um, and introduced a calculator that helps us with our quality metrics. Mm-hmm. And so now uh, day one through five of an inpatient admission, our team actually um, after they've determined what the DRG is, they will put that DRG in a special uh, calculator that helps us understand the variables that are the variable diagnoses that are impactful for that specific DRG. Mm-hmm. Uh, we now monitor through our iodine pool as well. Uh, was it just a CC or MCC? Was it a very specific quality only variable? And we can then see how many of those types of queries uh, are we um, also uh, putting uh, out there for the provider to document. Uh, So those are really significant opportunities as well, Mm -hmm. because we can then report that back. You know, 50% of our queries are uh, from our quality uh, metrics uh, specifically are impacting that very directly. And so we're measuring that. And that even adds more value um, and calls attention to our program from a senior leadership uh, perspective, because that is, you know, on at Ohio Health, one of the board goals to increase that quality metric. So then they're not only seeing the revenue value mm-hmm. or um, the, you know, some of the other values that we could bring from even ancillary staff. We work really collaboratively with wound care or our diet, uh, dietary department, et cetera. But it's also specifically at at that board goal level, we're increasing those quality ratings and quality metrics for Ohio Health. Mm-hmm. And when you're talking about quality metrics for our listeners, is this things like your ODE ratio or your SOI and ROM, or are you using like a quality ranking system like Vizient or anything like that? So both. So mm-hmm. I don't know if I was allowed to say this yet. So I hadn't, but that is our quality. <laughs> you're, you're allowed. <laughs> that is our quality. I call it a Vizian calculator, actually. Um, but yes, all, all of the above. Um, you know, there are a lot of metrics that uh, they publish. Mm-hmm. And we do look at the ODE. Uh, and we work really closely with our quality departments, but there are also the rankings right. um, as well. So for example... Um, in, and I shared this with Fran, is that we were um, actually ranked, uh, I believe, uh, I have it written down, in 2019, we're ranked 112th out mm-hmm. of 113 trauma one uh, in the trauma one hospital area and seven out of seven in Ohio. We, we knew we were delivering great care in our trauma, and it really wasn't reflective of our system. So we uh, really started looking at those cases. And uh, our last metric is we're 14th out of 113, and we're number one in the state of Ohio from a quality metric standpoint. So looking at those diagnoses and being able uh, to get to the right case at the right time is, is very crucial to that work. Uh, and being able to pull out now, not all the variables obviously are in the prioritization models and tools, mm-hmm. and that's okay because 
it's still getting the right case there, but we can look at what are the other indicators that are important to um, the, the organization to capture. Yeah. So that's that. And as a result, I already said, we're about 10 CDSs down. As you, Fran alluded to, I think every CDS program is down, whether it had retirements or, you know, not hiring during COVID, like there's still a lot of recovery going on, mm -hmm. but we've been able to, even at our very lowest staffing ever in the history of our department, been able to take on more work mm -hmm. and uh, meet the organizational's board goals as a result of um, the help that iodine's provided for us through the prioritization. Well, first, congratulations. That's that's quite a jump. Um, yeah. That's quite an impressive feat for for Ohio Health. Um, and Fran, this is something that you've spoken to in the past. Where sort of if if the documentation is right, and if you're capturing the full clinical picture, sort of every everything else will come. You know, if you get that piece right, then all of the other sort of dominoes will fall. Absolutely. You know, I mean, we. I think the challenge in the CDI space, especially as we um, try to really engage with our providers was kind of picking and choosing when it was important to identify right. these documentation opportunities. And now we're finding that they all are important. Mm -hmm. uh, they may be important for different reasons, right? One may influence how you're going to get paid, right? You're going to find mm -hmm. that MCC, but the others are influencing not only your risk adjusted calculations, but your observed to expected mortality. The others are impacting the severity of illness and risk of mortality when you're tracking that. So you can no longer afford as a CDS to really sit back and go, oh, is there an opportunity and which one am I going to pick? It's I found opportunity and I'm going to query for them all. Mm -hmm. So we've we've touched on, you know, staffing shortages a few times. Tanya, you mentioned, you know, there have been periods where staffing in your department has been low, but you've luckily you've been able to take on more work and more workflows. Um, one thing that I think sometimes gets overlooked as far as combating staffing shortages in CDI space is that you can help combat that just by improving job satisfaction. There's a couple different ways to do that. Um, and a prioritization tool can actually help with that. Fran, can you expand a bit on, on that for us? Yeah, I know Tanya will as well, but yeah. I'll start. I mean, I, I think knowing that the goal here is to identify that query opportunity. Mm -hmm. CDSs have a tendency to get very frustrated when they go through multiple cases and they don't find it, right? right. So, uh, but I think where we are in healthcare, and I'll even relate this to, Tanya and I are both nurses by background, no one wants to work in a situation where they know their peers in other organizations, other units, whatever it might be, have better technology and therefore are happier in their job than they are. Right. So I think it's very key to giving people the right technology to do their job well so that they can be satisfied. In this scenario, it's helping them find those right cases. And I know, Tanya, I'll turn it over to you. You gave me a couple of examples of some of your people because they have the ability to not only do this particular job, but expand their thinking in other ways because they're given the technology that allows them to work at top of license. It actually uh, affords them the ability to not only case after case after case, uh, even though they are finding more opportunities, 
but it gives them different workflows. Mm -hmm. So they can, uh, you know, review the case in the Visient calculator and it gives them a different type of opportunity. They review X, they have time to review their expiration cases and interact with coding. And they um, can also, you know, interact with quality and um, talk to some of the outcomes managers, et cetera, um, or even the nursing staff, the dietitians, uh, or the wound care nurses. So it creates a variety in their job because of the efficiency and effectiveness that we've been able to do with the prioritization tool. So that um, that also creates uh, one, I believe, a higher competence level in the CDS team. Uh, a little bit more of a strategic lens because they can see how their work is impacting beyond just a case review. Uh, and they can sometimes even um, connect it with patient care when we're connecting with wound care or uh, directing that, hey, this patient does have severe malnutrition to the dietitian and they're connecting with the physician, et cetera. So I do believe it does create a higher job satisfaction because some of the variety of work that now we've been able to create in our team. Right. Well, it's also such like an expansion of skill set. I mean, you talked about moving from, you know, a specialist to a more of a generalist role as far as reviewing cases. And then if you're adding on to that, doing quality reviews and collaborating with coding and, you know, working with a variety of tools. Um, that's very different from a CDI specialist and maybe a more traditional role who's only reviewing cases and only for maybe a few um, specialties. Yeah, yes. I, I would also say, and Tanya, you know, let me know if, if this has been true for your program, but, you know, going back to my thought that if I give my people the right tools and the right support and the right resources, they're going to enjoy their job. Mm -hmm. When you enjoy your job, you don't leave your job, right? You look to grow in the organization. So Tanya, have you, have you, do you see that that's made a difference for you as well? Because I've definitely heard that from some of our other clients. Yeah, I think so. And we also try to give people opportunities if you've had good queries or good responses um, and then being able to present that to the team. So even that higher level of professionalism uh, that they can, you know, and, and, and even some of those soft skills that otherwise, if the only job you have is to review a case, find a query, review a case, find a query, it can get monotonous. So mm -hmm. I feel like we've really been able to grow our team, uh, both professionally, um, you know, in their expertise as a nurse, as a CDS, but also uh, in some of the other soft professional skills. We did create um, a CDS2 position. And the, as I alluded to, and the primary uh, part of that job that's a little different is they are resourcing CDSs uh, it, with 50% of their time uh, that may need that extra boost in education uh, so that we can continue to invest in our team and make those people even more successful. Uh, they do have an opportunity to, to do different committee work even outside of the CDI department. And so that's also helpful in that exposure to what else is out there and how else can CDI uh, impact the organization. So I, I think it's really uh, helpful in, in creating and retaining staff 
because as Fran said, we all want to retain our staff and we have to figure out better ways uh, to improve their job satisfaction. So they want to stay with our program. And it's it's challenging in CDI space, right? Because it's expensive Uh to uh, train. Uh And I know you guys do a lot of your own training and, you know, hire from within. Um, so you don't want to lose them. You spend a lot of time and energy getting them up to be that professional. So you have to give them the opportunity to not only want to stay, but continue to grow. Absolutely. And you really have to, and I will speak to this, you really have to create a safe space for them to be able to make a mistake and to be able to grow and to feel that we care and we really do want to resource them and we want to make them better at their profession. And that really does start with safe space within your department. Well, I think that that is going to do it for this month's episode. Thank you both so much for joining me today. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you. And thank you to all our listeners for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, make sure that you subscribe through Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you like to listen. We'll be back next month. Until then, I'm your host, Lauren Hickey. Thank you so much for joining.